Okay, so the reading today will be um, from Isaiah chapter 42, uh, from verse 1 to verse 7, and that is page 728 on the Church Bibles. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes his justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This is God's word. Thank you all so much. And it's great to see you here at church. Massive welcome to you. My name is Jeremy. And whether you've been here a load of times before or whether it's your first time here ever, um, then you are uh, extremely welcome. Please stick around. It's a bank holiday weekend, uh, which means that we've got a bit of extra time and we've got um, hot dogs and all kinds of things happening after the service. So uh, if you can, um, then stick around and it'll be great to get to know you a little bit better. Welcome to people who just come back from holiday too. I can see one or two people looking ridiculously tanned. It's lovely to have you back. Well, we're going to um, do something a bit different over this week and, and next week, thinking about the things that God delights in. And before we come back to the Bible and, and, and look at that passage from Isaiah as well, it'd be good to pray, wouldn't it? So shall I lead us in prayer? Let's pray. Father God, um, we pray uh, whatever thoughts are on our minds this afternoon, whatever worries we might have brought with us to church, whatever struggles we might have been going through, we pray, Father, that we would have ears ready to listen to you, hearts that would come to you. And um, as we do that, Father, as we come into a relationship with you, as we listen to you speaking and as we respond to you, we pray that you will be giving life to our souls and transformation to our minds. Please do those things, Father God, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Murder Mysteries. Um, anyone a fan? Murder Mysteries? Yeah, just a smattering of hands. Thank you for being so honest. Um, I can't say that I was really into Murder Mysteries, actually, to be honest, um, until I started going out with Dawn. Um, Dawn loves Murder Mysteries. She, she, she loves a Murder Mystery of an evening. And uh, the thing is, when you start to get close to someone, then you start to understand and, and to share the things that they enjoy, yeah? Chickens? Anyone, anyone kept chickens? Yeah? Uh, my best friend's a guy called PJ, um, and um, 
He loves his chickens. We've just been down to, to look after his chickens, actually, um, for a few weeks. And he, he, he wrote us this, um, this sort of instruction manual for chickens. He calls them his girls. And, um, and you could just tell from the way that he wrote it how much he cares for his chickens. We sent him a little video of us looking after the chickens. And he replied from Switzerland to say that he was very comforted to know that we were looking after the chickens so well. I mean, PJ's such a good friend that you, you just find, you start to catch some of their interests and you start to understand what they see in chickens. Um, it's amazing. Do you mean when you get close to someone, you start to understand the things that make them tick? Those are passions. Um, the reason I'm telling you this is that when you become a Christian, you come close to God. An amazing, one of my favorite verses from the book of James, come near to God, it says in the Bible, and he will come near to you. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And when you become a Christian, you come close to God. You come into a relationship with him. I don't know how you feel about coming close to God. I guess that depends on what kind of a person you imagine God to be. But actually, the God of the Bible is, is full of joy. He's, he's, he's maximally happy. <clears throat> he's the God who delights in things. And as we get close to him, we start to understand and, and to share the things that he enjoys, yeah? We sort of have, we, our ideas, our, our delights and our passions start to line up with his. It's amazing. What he finds important, we start to find important too. And, and that's why we're going to spend a little bit of time this week and next week thinking about this theme from the Bible, and it's the theme of delight. Uh, a theme which is expressed by a, a, a number of closely related ones in the um, in, 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 in the original the Old Testament. And you could define delight like this, a lasting satisfaction in the same direction. A lasting satisfaction in the same direction. That's what delight is. Let me show that from two places in the Bible, just as we begin. And first, the first one of those is Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. You can see that up on the screen, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. And you might know that Psalms 1 and 2 are like two pillars at the sort of entrance into the Psalms. Psalm 1 tells us how to be blessed, and Psalm 2 tells us about worshipping the Son. But look how it all begins in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. This is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with a wick or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. Literally, verse 2, but in the law of the Lord, delight. So what does he do? Um, he meditates, the, the writer meditates on it day and night. The, the one who wants to be close to God meditates on God's law at night, a lasting satisfaction in the same direction, you see. Or um, secondly, Psalm 111, verse 2. That's the second verse up on the screen. Now, now we're near the end of the book of Psalms, uh, where the writer's praise on, on praising God and giving thanks for his word. Let me read from Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the council of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. It's a wonderful verse, isn't it? Um, pondered by all who delight in them. That, 
That word pondered means literally walking over something again and again and again. Delight is a lasting satisfaction in the same direction. (coughs) Can someone bring me a glass of water? I don't know if someone's out there. Thank you. So this is how one Hebrew dictionary sort of defines the idea of delight. It says the word delight denotes the direction of one's heart or passion. The idea is that the heart is pointed in a direction with passionate intensity. That's how it defines, defines the idea. Um, yes. Thanks, I appreciate that. Okay, so that's what, that's what delight is, but that's not all, because in, in the Bible's teaching, then, Christian maturity, if I can put it like this, is, is, is matching up our delights with God's delights. Do you see that? So that his delights become ours, minimizing the mismatch wherever that might be this afternoon in, in your heart and in my heart too. So, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, we're told time and time again what the Lord delights in. And, and the reason not, is not just to tell us about God's character, important though that is, the reason is, is so that we can match up our desires with God's desires and, and so act wisely. So this is what it says in Proverbs 11. Um, this is from the 1984 version. The, the newer one is slightly different. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, what, can you see how the Proverbs work? King, Can you see why it's telling us what the Lord delights in so that, so that we can delight in the same things? The Lord delights in weights that are honest and don't cheat people, and so should we. That, that, I guess that's part of Christian maturity, a sort of integrity at work. In, in one sense, all ethics is imitation of God. In one sense, that's true, isn't it? So the, the aim of this week and next is to examine our delights, to think of what we delight in, and, and to see where we're finding lasting satisfaction. What is the passionate intensity in our life? And, and to see whether there's a, a mismatch maybe between our delights and, and God's delights. And, and, to, and to settle our minds and to concentrate on what God considers to be important. And one theme comes particularly all the way through the Old Testament. And it's this, that God delights in his chosen servant. He delights in him. Let's come back to Isaiah 42. Right, it's on page 728. Al read it out to us a little bit earlier on. This, this book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Jesus, um, it begins in Jerusalem, the historical city of Jerusalem, and it ends in the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly city. You could, you could call it a tale of two cities in, in, in one regard, but towards the end, there are four sections about someone who's, who's just called the servant, and we know in retrospect that they're talking about Jesus. The New Testament quotes these parts of Isaiah more than any other to describe the person that Jesus is. But take a look at the first one of those sections, the servant sections. God delights in his chosen servant. Let me read verses 1 to 4 again. God's speaking here, and he says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He won't shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break he'll be so gentle and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter 
will be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. And there's been a lot of discussion in the paper over the last few weeks about celebrity culture. Um, that's sort of interesting people who are famous for being famous. Um, those people who have high exposure in our culture. It's so superficial, but here is a picture of real greatness. Real greatness, gentleness, faithfulness, justice, and hope. No wonder, as, as Matish has already mentioned, this is the passage that Matthew wants to go back to in his gospel to talk about Jesus. This is his longest Old Testament quotation. He goes back to Isaiah 42 because he wants to highlight Jesus's gentleness and his concern for the underclass and, and, and his concern not to be, not to be made, made known unnecessarily. He's never ostentatious, Jesus. Um, he's never dismissive. He's never deterred. He has ultimate authority, his ultimate identity, his ultimate victory. All of those things make this quote particularly applicable to Jesus. That's what makes Matthew think of this bit of Isaiah. But what I really want you to see is verse 1. Isaiah 42, verse 1, because it's so, so wonderful. Look over here, says God the Father, in effect. Look over here. Here is my servant. I want you to see him. Um, and then it says that, that this servant is the one that God the Father upholds. Literally, he grips hold of him so strongly. And, and, and he delights in him. Um, or more intimately still, in the original it says that God the Father's soul delights in him. One of the few places in the, in the Bible that talks about the very soul of God. And then this person is marked out by putting his spirit on him. And, 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 and this whole verse just describes this intimate, unbreakable bond of love between the Lord and his servant, you see. And, and that's exactly what we see when Jesus comes. When he, when he comes in his earthly ministry, he walks the earth. And, and we see that incredible bond that exists within the, within the Trinity, that, that relationship that puts relationships on the map for the whole of the created universe. We see that between God the Father and God the Son. So when Jesus comes out of the water, what does the voice of the Father say? This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then when Jesus speaks to the Father, he speaks of the Father's delight in him. Do you know that prayer that Jesus prays in John 17? Perhaps you might want to read it through a little bit later on. Jesus prays, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. There's, there's a writer called Jonathan Edwards. He lived a long time ago, but he said a lot of good things about the Bible. And when he writes about the Trinity, he says this, the infinite happiness of the Father consists of the enjoyment of his Son. Wonderful thing to say. Um, I, was, I was once watching Justin play football on, the football pitches on Market Road. And uh, there are a few of us who <clears throat> were there. Um, watching, watching the football match. And the guy next to me turned around and said, so Justin was, was a goalie in those days, he turned around and said to me, that guy in gold is amazing. Which family is he from? 
That sort of comment can bring joy to a dad's heart, let, let me tell you. Now, but now imagine the delight of the father as he watches the divine son walking the earth that he has made. What a wonderful thing. That is the delight of God. And, and, and the question is, how can our delight match up with that? And it would, show, it would show itself in the sort of things we long for, don't we? I mean, we can, you know, we can read it off the other delights that we might have and, and sort of compare them. So someone who likes murder mysteries, just suppose, I mean, they, they sit at work and they think, when I get home and all my work is done, I can't wait to curl up on the sofa with a Poirot. I mean, that, that's, I, you know, I understand. That's the kind of things that they think, so I've, so I've heard. Do we ever long for time with Jesus like that? You know, what... How do we feel about that time that we spend in our quiet times in prayer and the Bible? Do we think, I can't wait to get home and just spend time alone with Jesus? I mean, it will show itself in how we spend our money. I mean, it's, it's, it's no great secret that, um, <clears throat> um, that I like coffee. That's one of my delights. And um, I, I had a cup of coffee the other day. It was just happened to be the Karame Sadame that had won the Cup of Excellence in the International Coffee Awards. And it was quite, um, it was quite expensive, but the money doesn't really seem to matter. When, you know, when it's something that, that delights you that much, the money's a little bit immaterial, isn't it? It happens to be the most expensive cup of coffee I've ever bought in my life. But man, it was good. Could, if people looked at our bank account, would they tell that Jesus was our delight? Would it, would it be that the money we give to to, to make Jesus known in our world, it doesn't really seem to matter because we delight in him so much. Could, would people say that of us? Some of us say to me. Um, it would show itself in what we talk about. I mean, PJ and his chickens. You can't stop him talking about his chickens. It's, it, it's really extraordinary. Um, the things we delight, we talk about. I mean, I, if we go to a fantastic restaurant, what do we do? We tell people the next day at work. Um, I know that it's not so socially acceptable. But people can tell from the things we talk about what our delights are, what makes us tick, what, what lights us up, you know. If, if, if someone did a word cloud of your, of your conversation, how big would the letters be that wrote the name Jesus? I wonder. For me. If someone came close to you, would they pick up that delight in Jesus that reminds them that of the delight that Father has for the Son, I wonder. Well, there's more to say in, in, in our second heading as we follow this theme of delight through the book of Isaiah. And we're just going to look at one more passage. We've got one more point. Um, and we're going to go to the fourth song about the servant. And we're calling this God Delights in His Suffering Servant. God Delights in His Suffering Servant. So if, if you turn a few pages forwards... Um, the fourth servant song begins in Isaiah 52, verse 13. That's on page 741, 741. <coughs> Why don't you turn that up? And first thing I notice is that it begins exactly the same way. Do you see that? Um, Isaiah 52, verse 13. Look, look over here. This is my son. Um, and he's going to act wisely. Uh, but it soon, soon becomes clear that the servant's in a lot of trouble. Let me read from verses 7 to 9. You'll find this just over the page, on page 742. 
This is talking about the servant that God delights in. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he'd done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Um, the servants being attacked. I don't know if they've ever been attacked. Uh, I was attacked on Essex Road when I was a student. I saw my way home at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'd just come back from a sort of student event. I had some Bible studies and, and I, I needed to get some vegetables. In those days, there was an all night vegetable stall on Essex Road. Uh, and so I bought some veggies at two o'clock in the morning. And then I got robbed and, and uh, kicked me in the head and took my stuff. Um, I got away with some Bible notes and a, and a couple of pounds of potatoes. I, I seen they must have been gutted, mustn't they, when they, when they opened the bag. But this is, this is a violent attack in Isaiah 53. We shouldn't, we shouldn't minimize that. Um, and, and what we expect is, is the father to come in and defend his son. I mean, that's what we'd expect, wouldn't it? Um, we wait for the response of God the father. What will he do to defend the son that he delights in? And the answer comes in verse 10, and I think this is really, really astonishing and moving and difficult as well. It's, it's toned down um, a little bit, even in these Bibles, but verse 10 uses the same word for delight that we've been looking at this afternoon in other parts of the Bible. So let me put that word back into the verse. This is difficult. It says, yet it was the Lord's delight to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he, that's the servant, will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Let me just say that one more time. Yet it was the Lord's delight to crush him and cause him to suffer. We've seen in Isaiah 42 that, that God the Father delights in his servant with a pure and intense love, that kind of love that only exists within the, within the bonds of the Trinity. At the same time, in Isaiah 53, the Lord delights in sacrificing his servant to death by crushing him. And, 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 the, and the servant shares that delight. It's not that he's being victimized. He shares that delight because the other side of death, he himself promotes and, and prospers as a result of it. You see, how could that be the case? I, I guess it would only, it could only be true that the father and son would delight in his being crushed if, if that death achieved something so monumental on, on behalf of others that that death was not a tragedy but a victory. And, that, and the death of the servant from this passage must fall into that category. His death is the polar opposite of pointless. Verse 10, he dies as an offering for sin. That means that it sort of compensates it. It, it, it deals with, it takes away the sort of wrongdoing that, that people do towards each other every day and, and do towards God as well. It cancels out blame. Verse 12, this servant is 
is dying to bear the sins of many on his own back so that verse 11 people can be justified put right with the God who made them made acceptable before God that's what his death achieves and and that is why it is something to delight in that's why Jesus as he dies on the cross, not only cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it's that, that relationship with the Father is ripped apart. But he also shouts, it is finished. Because the many have been made acceptable to God. The, the offering's been made, the compensation is complete. Now, I, I know how unpalatable people find the Bible's teaching on that point. And I, and I know that it's a difficult thing to understand sometimes. But my point is simply this, that unless we learn to delight in the servant, chosen then crushed, then we are setting ourselves apart from the God whom we serve. We're resisting conformity to his will. We're, we're out of step with the God of the Bible. Our delights aren't conforming with his. Um, one of the most helpful articles I've read I think in the last few years, is one called Assumed Evangelicalism. And it, it says that if we just assume things in church rather than actually stating them, then the next generation will forget them. We need to keep on stating what's at the heart of Christianity, otherwise those truths will be lost in the next generation. This is what the article says. Just by assuming the cross rather than clearly and repeatedly articulating it and letting it govern the contours of our lives, there is vast potential for the next generation to deny what they have simply never had the chance to understand. Can you see that? So it's worth asking ourselves, are we a church that delights in, in the cross of Jesus Christ? Do we hold that central? Do we state clearly we believe that Jesus' death was and what Jesus' death achieved. Do, are we going to keep on going back to the cross time and time again when we're discouraged, when we feel underappreciated, when we feel hurt, when we feel that God doesn't care? And Tim Keller says something that's stuck in my mind and, and still sticks in my mind. He says, if, if we have issues in our Christian life that we're unable to resolve, it's likely that there's some aspect of the cross that we have misunderstood. And we, we need to keep on pointing to the crushed servant in our evangelism as, as, we, as we seek to hold out Jesus to a, to a watching world. It's, it's so easy to talk about God in a general sense, isn't it? Or about joining church or finding the purpose of your life or finding peace with God without mentioning the cross because the cross is difficult. It stands at the heart of Christianity. Are we going to work out that delight in the cross, in the habits that we form, the way we pray, the leaders we listen to, the parts of the Bible we read, will they center around the cross? And 20 years from now, will we find that crushing of the servant? Will we find it liberating and joyful or restrictive and embarrassing? Not denied, maybe, but assumed rather than proclaimed. Luther once said this, the cross alone is our theology the cross alone is our theology and as we finish let's pray that that would be the case for us shall we pray
Father God, thank you for the delight that you have in your son. Thank you for that bond of love that sets the bar for a love relationship in the whole of the created universe. Thank you that we love because you first loved us. Thank you that the love that we experience is an echo of the love that exists within the bonds of the Trinity. And thank you, Father, that you gave up your son to die in our place as, a, as an offering that makes us right with you, that justifies us. And so we pray, Father, that our, our delight would be in Jesus, but not just that, uh, that our delight would be in the cross of Jesus. We pray as a church that would be what we proclaim, Jesus Christ crucified. And we ask all these things in his name. Amen.